Hello, welcome to 2022 and a brand new episode of the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and today on the show, we are talking to Ken Shigematsu. Ken is the pastor of 10th Church in Vancouver, British Columbia, and he's also the author of God in My Everything and Survival Guide for the Soul. A little over a year or so ago, when I started the podcast, I sat down and put a list together of people that I would love to interview someday on the Churchology podcast, and Ken was on that list. I have been impacted so much by Ken's work, and today on the show, we are talking about a rule of life, and so here we are at the start of 2022, a new year. So many people go into the new year with resolutions all kinds of different commitments, things we're going to do this year, and um, whether we do it or not is another matter. But I love how Ken challenges us to go deeper than a resolution. Ken is not talking today about resolutions. Ken is talking to us about crafting a rule of life. And so what is a rule of life? Why do you and I need one? And what could it look like? I love how Ken uh, just unpacks this for us. I love his heart behind it. And so sit back, enjoy this episode, and and don't just sit back to listen, really engage. What could a rule of life look like for you? Let's dive in to talking to Ken Shigematsu on the Churchology Podcast. All right, well, today on the show, we are excited to talk to Ken Shigematsu. Ken, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mark. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's an honor to talk to you. Ken, you've written uh, just some phenomenal books, God My Everything, uh, Survival Guide for the Soul. You're a pastor in Canada. Um, but for anybody that might be watching this or, or listening to this, and maybe they've never heard your story, uh, I would love for you to share just a little bit of your story, how you went from a Fortune 500 company in Tokyo to a pastor in Canada. And both of those things, they sound completely different, but there were some things happening maybe underneath the surface in your own life that you saw were similar. And, and what did that ultimately lead you to? Yeah, Mark, uh, yeah, you mentioned I, I work for a Fortune 500. I was with the Sony Corporation in Tokyo, and I was what they call the 7-Eleven man. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this expression. It doesn't mean that I had a lot of Slurpees, although I, I <laughs> had Slurpees from time to time, but it meant that my workday literally went from seven in the morning till 11 at night, sometimes even later. So things were really crazy. I enjoyed my life and work, even though it was really busy, but I sensed that God might have something else for me. So I ended up going to seminary just north of Boston, and I ended up eventually back in Vancouver, Canada. And I wasn't sure if I should go back to the corporate world or pursue a vocation of some kind of full-time ministry. And as I was fasting and praying on day three of a fast, the words 10th Avenue Alliance came really clearly to mind. And then the words senior pastor on day five came clearly to mind. This doesn't happen to me very often. I thought it was odd. I had no connection with this church in a formal way. And I went uh, to visit the church in Vancouver. I walked in and my first thought was, this church is filled with white Anglo-Saxon senior citizens. Nothing wrong with that. But I felt that I was too young. I was in my 20s and um, not white enough, not Caucasian enough to pastor this church. And I already had a pastor. I didn't um, mention to the 
the, the pastor at the time that I had this sense through fasting and prayer. I didn't want him to think I was after his job, but we had lunch and uh, he said, look, there are no kids, my kids ages. I'm planning to move on. If you're thinking about pastoral ministry, you should put your name in the hat. I did. And uh, God ended up confirming mm-hmm. the sense of guidance I had through the fasting and prayer. And uh, that was about 25 years ago. And, and so I see God's hand in that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you write about in the book is that, so, so there you are in Tokyo working the 7-Eleven man, and then mm-hmm. you become the pastor of this church. And underneath the surface in your own heart, there was still the, the, the busyness and, and there are all of these things that just the, the similarities of the two. Uh, could, could, you, could you talk about that maybe a little bit? Just what was happening in your own heart, even as you made that transition from the corporate world, Fortune 500, to being a pastor? Yeah, I thought things would settle down for me as a pastor, mm-hmm. especially in a place like Vancouver, Canada, on, on the West Coast. I had come to a church, 10th church, had cycled through 20 pastors in 20 years, and had gone from over a thousand people in its heyday back in the 1950s to a hundred and something. And on one of my first days on the job, the secretary walked into my office and she said, Ken, if the ship sinks now, meaning the church, everyone will blame you because you were the last captain at the helm. <laughs> I think she was trying to motivate me to work harder. I, that just stressed me out and, and filled me with all kinds of feelings of insecurity. And I was working a lot of late nights. Um, you have what? It's in uh, Kentucky, uh, the, the fast food restaurant. I was making uh, stops at the Wendy's drive through The person behind the class came to recognize me by face and <laughs> by name. Uh, I was working hard, but I was unhappy. The church wasn't going well. Um, and I really f- felt like I needed a, a change in my life, a, a new direction. And was that, was it, was it that change, that desire that you, that you were going through? Was it that 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 led you to um, what you call in the books the monastic way to contemplative spirituality? Yeah, Mark, that I think prepared me for that. And during this this time where I felt like I was constantly treading water, uh, my mentor at Leighton Ford, who's uh, now based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and the brother-in-law to the late Billy Graham, invited me to join him on a pilgrimage to the holy places of Ireland. I had never been to Ireland. Ireland is not the old country for me. I'm originally from Japan, but I was tired and eager for a change of scenery and a change of pace. And so uh, with a small group, we ended up visiting the ancient monasteries of Ireland and learned from the monks about this way of life that they describe as a rule of life. It was a kind of life rhythm uh, that enabled the monks to experience God as alive and real, not just as they were praying in a chapel, but as they were working out in the fields, as they were studying in a library, as they were preparing a meal in a kitchen. And I was desperate to experience God as alive and real in every part of my life. So I returned here to Vancouver and I began to put into practice some of the simple habits I learned from the monks. And over time, uh, these habits awakened me to God in a fresh way and would go on to change my life. And would you say that everything around you was still basically at the same pace that it was, but, but under the surface you had, you know, I guess we could say, a new operating system, um, that, that this monastic way had kind of begun to get rooted in you and changed the way that you interacted in the world? What was it about the, 
what was it about that monastic way, those contemplative rhythms? What was it about that that really started to make a difference in your heart, even though everything around you might still be working at the same pace? Yeah, so um, we were still facing the challenges of uh, being an urban church uh, in the city with lots of turnover. Um, there were still expectations on me from uh, certain people at the church, but I had a new piece. I began to take Sabbath. Uh, that became part of my own rule of rhythm of life. And uh, even though there was more work to be done, in my opinion, than could be done in seven days in any given week, um, on Mondays, I stopped working and uh, took time. Uh, I was single uh, then uh, to run through the forest or to mountain bike ride, swim, maybe kayak. I took time to meditate on God's word in the morning, uh, might watch a movie in the evening, uh, but it became a day to connect with God, a very life-giving experience. And I la later learned that Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament uh, scholar, says that if you keep a Sabbath once a week, you'll experience the other six days of your week differently. And so even though, if you've mentioned that we had a bunch of challenges as a church still ahead of us, I was experiencing a new peace thanks to practices like Sabbath and silent meditation. I've heard that story. Obviously, your story is unique, but but I've heard variations of that story from so many ministry leaders. They were facing a lot of pressure. They went through a lot of burnout, and it was through that burnout that that somehow God brought along to their path these monastic ways, this contemplative spirituality, and they just found it transformative. Uh, what is it about these practices that, I mean, people who are watching, listening, a good chunk of them are leaders, um, but even no matter what context you find yourself, what is it about those practices that are so transformative in a world that is just nonstop, go, 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 always pressure to perform? Yeah, uh, part of it is that it helps to center us. I'm a very easily um, uh, distracted kind of person, even as I've heard the ping go off recently, I, I can be distracted. Uh, I'm a templative person, Mark, by nature. I'm just trying to figure out how to turn that off. Um, but I have found that if I take some time in the morning, and this is a monastic practice for, for silence, uh, it, it stills me in a profound way. So for example, uh, this morning, I began my day with a run with our golden retriever, Sasha. So that's also part of my simple rhythm of life. I run or swim. I come back home. I, I light a candle and I take some time to sit, uh, breathing deeply in through my nose, exhaling slowly, breathing in deeply, exhaling slowly. And then I'll start to wonder, Mark, um, how much time has gone by anyway? So I'll from my phone, uh, not to check my messages or even my schedule for the day, but to open up a free app called Centering Prayer. The app has a, has a timer. So I'll set the timer to maybe 15 or 20 minutes and then hit begin on the app. Chime sounds as though I were in a monastery being summoned uh, by a monk, you know, clinging uh, the bell to, to pray. Continue to breathe deeply. In through my nose, exhale slowly through my nose. 
And then, Mark, I'll start to think of all the things I'm supposed to do today, like uh, whatever, finish a report, um, talk to a new friend like yourself on a podcast or whatever it is, a meeting that I've got later, uh, some errands to run. And so I'll reach for my Bible or maybe just choose a passage that I'm familiar with. And every time my mind wanders, I'll repeat the passage to myself. Be still and know that I am God. I'm distracted again. Be still. Or maybe simply be, be in the presence of God. And um, I know this might sound like a lot of work to folks, but let me shift the, the, the scenery for a moment. I'm, I'm um, a person who lives in Vancouver, so it's a coastal city. We're on the water. I love being on the water, whether it's kayaking or on a friend's sailboat. I don't actually own a sailboat. And there have been times when I've been out at sea, Mark, and I have seen salmon jumping out of the water at a 45 degree angle. I've seen uh, on rare occasions, pods of dolphins or whales in the distance. And there are times when I'm sitting in the presence of God and I feel surrounded by the beautiful mystery that upholds me in the whole world. But there have also been times when I've been out at sea and I've seen a film of oil on the surface of the water or an empty Coke bottle bobbing up and down or some debris. And there are times when I'm sitting in silence in God's presence and anxiety rises up in my heart. Or maybe a painful memory or a feeling of anger or frustration or envy towards someone. I lift those up to the Lord and I feel freer of them. I feel lighter. When the 15 or 20 minutes are done, chime sounds, I open my eyes and I always feel uh, just a little bit lighter afterwards and throughout the a little bit more focused on Jesus and aware of his love for me. It's not like that I'm not distracted again. I am, uh, but there's a, a greater degree of focus and peace. And so monastic practices like Sabbath keeping or um, centering silent prayer awaken us to a more direct experience, felt experience of God's presence. So, yeah. And I think one of the the misconceptions that that people may have when they maybe when they hear us use that word, you know, monastic, you know, you think of a monk. They, I think one of the misconceptions that people may have is, is that we are talking about things to, to help us to get away from the world. The world is so busy. It's so distracted. Mm. The world is, you know, there's so, it's, there's so much brokenness. We're just trying to get away from the world. It's this misconception. But, but really, these kind of practices are to help you go into the world mm -hmm. in a new way to serve it. it is that right? Can you can you unpack that? You, you talk about that in the book. I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a bit of a misconception that monks have an idyllic life. Monks make yeah. some of the best chocolate and you know, <laughs> cheap beer in the world. Uh, Thomas Martin, famous monk, had a strong connection to your great state of Kentucky, uh, of course. Um, but um, yeah, it, these practices can help move us into the world. Some people feel, Mark, that a, a practice like meditative prayer is very self-absorbed and navel-gazing, uh, that it might be equivalent to going to a spa or getting a massage. Nothing necessarily wrong with those things, but as you've just implied, this kind of practice helps us give more. My friend, Dr. Hillary McBride has a PhD from UBC in psychology. She is a clinical counselor and a psychologist. And she points out that if you meditate between 15 to 20 minutes a day, for between four to six weeks. And then 
a disabled person walks into the room, you will be like a hundred times more likely to respond to that person. Right. This, yeah, meditation um, not only helps us center, but it, it, it causes us to be more empathetic, more connected to God and to others. So that's part of the paradox of it. Is there a, is there a difference, say, between these kind of contemplative rhythms versus the way that just the average person might think about spiritual discipline, spiritual growth. Is there, is there is there a difference between these kind of rhythms and the way that somebody might just think about just normal spiritual growth? Go to church, read your Bible, those kind of things. Yeah, when we think about say a contemplative monastic practice and way that a typical person might think of an avenue towards spiritual growth, uh, the, the 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 difference in nuance is that contemplative comes from the two Latin root, root words, uh, cum, which means um, with, and uh, temple, but the root word temple, uh, and we know what that means, uh, to um, attend to God's presence, uh, to attend to God's face, as David writes about in Psalm uh, 27. And so um, traditional spiritual disciplines and contemplative practices on the surface may seem very similar. Uh, read your Bible, uh, serve, um, evangelize, but the emphasis of contemplative practice is to use these practices as a gateway to experience God's face directly. And so the, the practices aren't ends in and of themselves, but they are a gateway to the presence of God. Mm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you talk about um, in Survival Guide for the Soul is you talk about these two atoms, you know, Adam one and Adam two. You, you talk about, you, you call it the divided self. Can you talk about what that means? What do you mean by the divided self? Yeah, so um, in uh, Survival Guide for the Soul, which you just referenced, I think somewhere early uh, in the book, I'm thankful that you read it. Um, I'm actually drawing on the work of um, a rabbi named Joseph Soltsovichik, who looked at Genesis 1 and, and, and thought, okay, in Genesis 1, there is a certain portrayal of Adam. Uh, he is called to fill the earth and subdue it. And so in modern terms, um, I, I call this uh, Adam striving Adam. He wants to create businesses or she wants to conquer disease, control the world. And we need striving Adam. That's part of who we are. We need that um, ambition to go out and, and, and get him, like uh, you Americans uh, love to say. Uh, but in Genesis 2, Rabbi Soltsovichik notices that there is a different portrayal of Adam. He's called to a garden to humbly serve it. He walks with God in the cool of the day. He's lonely until Eve appears. And so I call this Adam portrayed in Genesis 2 as soulful Adam, the Adam inside us that longs to connect with God and others. And our society, whether it's uh, the USA, uh, Japan, where I'm from originally, and even Canada, which is considered a more laid back country, puts the emphasis on striving Adam. If you honor striving Adam alone and never take Sabbath, you might get promoted. You're breaking one of the Ten Commandments, but you might get promoted. Probably won't get a lot of fanfare for cultivating your soul, but it will serve the most important values of our life as we connect with God, as we attend to our families and, and the people that uh, are most valuable to us. And so how do we bring those together, this divided self? Yeah, I feel that 
the way we bring those together is through what the monastics call uh, a rule of life, which I mentioned earlier. And the word rule, as, as some of your um, friends on this podcast may know, uh, shares a Latin root with the word trellis. Um, uh, rule uh, can mean uh, trellis. And a trellis is simply, as, as um, many of your friends would know, is a structure that supports a grapevine in a vineyard, enabling it to receive more sunlight, uh, to be pruned and guided in its growth so that it produces better fruit. And so I believe that the way to integrate striving Adam and soulful Adam is to construct a way of life that uh, connects us deeply to God and to the light of God's face, but also propels us into the world to work hard, to make a contribution and, and difference through uh, whatever it is we're called to do. And so that that is, so what you're just describing there, that is the point of God in my everything. You unpack how to create a rule of life. I would love to just really get specific. This might be, so this might be a new concept, somebody that's listening to this and, you know, watching this, they, they've, maybe they've never heard of it, or maybe they have, they're just not familiar with it. I would love to just really get specific. Um, so a rule of life is not simply, it includes those spiritual disciplines that we may think of, but but a lot of times we may have those spiritual disciplines and then we're done. And so then I can go on with the rest of my life and almost they're kind of divided. They're isolated. Here's my spiritual life. You know, we have this disconnected life, but a rule of life is literally God in my everything, trying to bring God into every aspect of my life. I would love to hear what does that rule of life look like for you? Yeah, Mark, I've already mentioned a couple of practices. One is uh, Sabbath. Uh, this is especially um, those of us who tend to be uh, workaholics by nature. Uh, you know, Sabbath enables us to not only experience rest and joy in God and in people, but it also enables us to work from a place of rest, not desperately needing to rest from work. And so Sabbath is part of my rhythm. As I also briefly alluded to earlier, um, exercise is part of my rhythm. So I begin my day either with a run with our golden retriever or a swim at a nearby pool. And uh, I'm not trying to impose this on anyone else, but I find that when I exercise, I feel better. I know that um, as I exercise, endocannabinoids are being released in my brain, which mimic cannabis. Uh, and, and obviously that's a kind of legal mimicking. Uh, endorphins um, are released in my brain. Uh, and uh, that seems to help me um, feel more centered and more connected to God and, and people uh, outside, of, outside of the time of exercise. And then, as I mentioned, uh, I engage in uh, silent, uh, prayerful um, meditation, which also helps me uh, connect uh, with others. Um, uh, there was a guy named Andrew who, in some ways, is a lot like me, very easily distracted. He worked as an engineer. And he began to experiment with um, some meditation. And after a little while, he said, this isn't working for me. Every time I try to sit in silence, I get distracted. He was about to quit. Then Andrew thought to himself, but on the days I meditate, when I'm in line at the cafeteria and I want to order something deep fried and salty, I, make, I tend to make a healthier eating choice. And on the days I meditate, when there's something really sarcastic about to fly off the tip of my tongue. On those days, I'm more likely to bite my tongue. And on the days I meditate, 
when I'm distracted at work, which I am a lot, I'm able to more easily refocus on my work. And, and so these things may sound somewhat superficial, our eating choices, how we treat people, whether we're present at school or work or not, or ministry, uh, but practices like meditation and the spiritual practices that connect us to God impact every part of our life, that there will be an integration that happens. We will experience God in our everything. Yeah, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't want people to miss that, that here you are talking about your rule of life and, and, and how you're bringing God into your everything. And one of those is running. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I, I love to run and I'm, I'm a runner, but uh, I, I can remember, I thought about this when I was reading your book. I can remember a conversation that I had with, this was years ago. This was years ago. I didn't know rule of life language or anything like that, but, um, you know, but, you know, the Bible, Paul will say, you know, glorify God, you know, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, you know? And so you may talk about something like, I can remember a conversation that I had, somebody, an exercise came up and they asked, how in the world can you exercise for God's glory? How can you exercise with God, how is that a spiritual practice? And so maybe somebody is thinking that. Can you just talk about that? How is that a an act that you are doing before the Lord? Well, first of all, you're honoring God in your body. And if, if um, your friends have seen the, the movie Chariots of Fire, uh, Eric yeah. Little, this uh, Olympic runner says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Hmm. And I think that people sometimes feel that um, spiritual practices, disciplines must be hard and arduous. But I really believe that any practice, that uh, whether it's overtly spiritual or religious or not, that makes you come alive over time mm. is spiritual practice. So whatever makes you come alive. And let me say this uh, along those lines. If you um, decide to um, construct a rule of life, maybe you pick up a, a copy of God of My Everything or, or a similar resource and you construct a trellis and then your life starts feeling, oh, it's almost certainly a self-constructed routine that you've created because if your rhythm is spirit inspired if the trellis uh, has been encouraged by christ your life won't feel like oh my life is so much heavier Hmm. it'll feel like um uh, i'm gonna just get on a chair here i I can't really see myself on the screen because i've turned my soft screen off but it'll feel like oh my life feels supported it feels lighter it feels freer Hmm. and um it's not, it's not to say that um, practices don't require discipline, but uh, you will find that as you are more connected to the vine of Christ, that your life will feel lighter and freer. Yeah, I just love that image there. It's just this integrated life. Uh, and and so, so it's not isolated. We're not these divided people where our mm. spiritual lives are over here in a corner. And, and I think what you just touched on with that illustration, how, how this rule supports our life, is that what you mean in the book when you say that a rule of life is not one more thing to do? Exactly, yes. Uh, so it's not about, you know, checking a box. Jesus said uh, the Sabbath was made for uh, humankind, uh, not, not man or woman for the Sabbath. And, and similarly, a rule of life is meant to serve us, to support us and our life with God and uh, the most important aspects of our life. So um, yeah, it, it, it shouldn't feel like a burden. One more thing to do, it should feel like, oh, this, this gives me life. Uh, and so uh, even with meditation, I, I find that if I've got an unusually busy day or I'm facing down some crucial conversation, uh, some heavy crisis, 
I feel like I need a little bit more time of, of meditation in silence because I know that'll make me more creative, more clear, more connected to God. And if I need to be more courageous and bold. Yeah, I would love to, to ask you a question about uh, meditation. I know one of the things that when uh, I talk to people about, you know, meditation, silence and solitude and that sort of thing, the question that comes up is what do I do when I'm distracted? And so what do I do when my mind wanders? What do you do when you are in those times and your mind just begins to wonder? Is there a prayer that you begin to pray, breath prayer, those kind of things? What's, what, what, what do you do? Yeah, so what I do is um, I will use the, the sacred word, usually from scripture. Uh, so it might be, uh, as I mentioned, be still and know that I am God or be still or recently simply been loved from, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 and from the gospel, just love. I use that word to help focus me. I'll also sometimes focus intentionally on my breath, breathing in through my nose and then exhaling through my nose. And I'll I'll start to count if I'm really distracted. So breathing in one, exhale two, breathing in three, Exhale for up to 10. So I'm not thinking of a number that's too high. And here's um, something to keep in mind. Um, every time you're distracted, it gives us an opportunity to turn back to the Lord. So Thomas Keating, who was considered a great teacher of meditation, said, if you're distracted 10,000 times in your meditative prayer, you have 10,000 opportunities to return to Jesus. So it can was practiced returning. And so, uh, you know, don't feel uh, despair. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity for growth when we're distracted to turn back. Yeah. Ken, as we, Ken, as we're wrapping up, um, one of the things, you know, here we are, we are at the back end of 2021. And just after everything that's been experienced past two years with a pandemic and political tension, racial tension, so many things happening in the world. One of the things that a lot of people have noted is that it, looks as if there is a crisis of discipleship in the church, that, that the church, so many followers of Jesus, it, we've almost been shaped by other things than Jesus, by the scriptures. Um, why do you think this is such an important moment for the church to catch this vision of God in my everything? Yeah, thanks, Mark. I think that you're Absolutely right. Um, We're living in a time of great chaos and and stress because of the pandemic, but it's also a time when uh, people are divided over political identities, as you would well know, in the state of Kentucky, and and, and, and we feel that here in Canada. So all kinds of issues. So I I feel that there is uh, a, a desperate need for us to become more like Jesus, to have his heart, his character, his tone. And um, when we experience God in our everything, that will, will truly transform us. Dallas Willard, the, the great philosopher and writer on the spiritual life, um, once said uh, to, to a pastor, it wasn't me, but another pastor, how can I encourage discipleship in my church? And, and Dallas said to this pastor, I know, organize your life so that you are experiencing maximum joy, contentment, and confidence in God, in your everyday life. Hmm. And pastor said, uh, Dallas, um, I, I wasn't asking for myself. I was asking for my church. And, and Dallas said, okay, I'll respond for your church. Organize your life <laughs> <laughs> that you are experiencing 
maximum joy, contentment, and confidence in God in your everyday life. And as we organize our life with the inspiration of the Spirit so that we're experiencing contentment and joy and confidence in God, that will change us. That will help us uh, be tethered to Christ. And as that happens, I think we'll influence others to do the same. Hmm. Uh, Ken, this has been so good. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for taking some time to jump on the podcast today. This has been great. Now, the books are Survival Guide for the Soul, God in My Everything. We're going to make sure we've got links for those in the show notes where people can pick those up. Ken, is there any other way that people can maybe connect with you online? Uh, yeah, uh, our website is um, www.tenth.ca, and uh, my personal email is is on on our staff page. So if people want to interact, I'd be glad to glad to connect. That's great. That's great, Ken. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been an honor to talk to you. Yeah, it's been an honor to talk to you, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Now make sure to check out the show notes because there's links there to pick up Ken's books, God in My Everything, Survival Guide for the Soul. So make sure to check those out, pick them up. They are great reads, especially at the beginning of the new year. So let's dive into the momentum that maybe you feel that you have in the new year. And what would a, a rule of life look like for you in 2022? I'd love to hear from you uh, about what you thought about today's episode and what how did God speak to you from Ken and our interview and just what encouraged you, what challenged you. And I would love to hear who would you like to hear us interview on the Churchology podcast? What are some topics you'd love to see us see us dive into? Let us know. We are on all of the socials. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us there. And we'd love to connect with you, hear from you and just hear, hey, we would love to hear topics like this uh, coming up on some episodes. We've got some great interviews coming up. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Great way to help the podcast. You can make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to this. Thanks so much for listening to the Churchology Podcast. Thank you.